You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about Bruce Springsteen, Darkness on the Edge of Town. On the line, I have Rob. Hi! Ben. Badlands! John. It ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. And Kyle. Hello! Darkness on the Edge of Town is the fourth studio album by Bruce Springsteen, released on June 2nd, 1978. The producer was Bruce Springsteen and John uh, Landau and Steve Van Zant as the assistant. The genre is hard rock, rock, and heartland rock, and I'm going to read from the book, Peter Watts. Thanks to a legal dispute with former manager Mike Appel, Springsteen had three years to bask in the stellar success of Born to Run and to contemplate his follow-up. The resulting album, Darkness on the Edge of Town, is a very different beast from its predecessor. Like Dylan before him, Springsteen withdrew from fame, moving to a farm in New Jersey so he could refocus on, quote, Life in the close confines of the small towns I grew up in. He wanted to write about the streets and tension of my father's and mother's life that came with the difficulties of trying to make ends meet. Fatherhood is one of the album's themes. Struggle, another. These are songs about small town frustration, sometimes sexual, sometimes social. Being Bruce, the angst is tempered with romance, particularly for the road. Many songs involve driving either from escape, four thrills, or both. But musically, this is much more subdued affair than Born to Run. Clarence Clemens' sax is rarely heard. Instead, Springsteen's guitar and Roy Bitton's measured melodic piano set the tone. Uplifting, downbeat, bleak, and mad as hell, Darkness is a spellbinding B-movie epic to follow the blockbuster of Born to Run. Alright, what do we think of... Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. When I was looking up this record, I looked up the Rolling Stone review uh, from 1978, and this is uh, no hyperbole, uh, the first sentence. Occasionally, a record appears that changes fundamentally the way we hear rock and roll, the way it's recorded, the way it's played. (laughs) Do you guys agree with that? I mean, if he's talking about Bad Out of Hell, fuck yeah. <laughs> it's a little hyperbolic. It's oh, a great yeah. record, but... Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's insanity. <laughs> that's fucking insane. Like, we, like, the same guys already made Born to Run. Like, if anything changed things, wouldn't it have been that one? That's it. That's what I'm thinking. That, that Born to Run definitely did change rock and roll as he became an icon they recorded it in a it's sort of like a 60s throwback of wall of sound uh that 
personified rock and roll with a saxophone, with the big over the top uh, lyrics and choruses. So yeah, I believe it for Born the Run, but this is a follow up. It's not as bombastic as that was. I'll say this, <clears throat> you know, Born to Run, it it did. It had that throwback, uh, like wall of sound recording style. It had more of like a, like a 60s R&B sound. This album seems more rock and roll forward, more guitars, less horns. And if anything, this album is the beginning of where I'm hearing like Heartland Rock, like like John Cougar Mellencamp Heartland Rock. Not so much with Born to Run, but definitely Darkness on the Edge of Town. I, I think if that. you look at those two albums thematically, because they're three years apart, you know, it's still Bruce Springsteen doing Bruce Springsteen, you know, focusing for days and months and weeks and hours and years on a single song. Uh, but Born to Run is like, watching the epic movie of a love story, you know, between two kids from the wrong side of town, making it right in a fast car. This album is more like, oh, what do I do for a living? Well, I drag race cars and I don't make much money at it and it's shitty and it's awful and my girlfriend hates me for doing it, but it's what I do. So it's what I've got to do. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, it's the reality of like, oh, this is what you really have. To, like, I got to go to work. Like, you know, it's not necessarily glamorous, you know, uh, you know, like the morning after the love story of, of born to run. <laughs> right. Exactly. All the, all the yeah. stage makeup comes off and like, it's an amazing album. Um, but it's definitely, it has a different feel. You're right. Yeah. And he, I have a quote here from him. He said born to run was kind of the dream album. It's sort of the, uh, I ideal uh, but he says, quote, I think when people dream of things, they dream of them without complications. The real dream is not the dream. It's life without complications. And that doesn't exist. And that's what this album is. It's the complications that come along with reaching out for something different, um, striving for something uh, that you can't quite grasp, making it ends meet, too. Yeah, Rob mentioned that this this record uh, didn't really fit in with the other records that we were talking about today. And I, I thought about that. This is really like, this is a really profound album. Like it's really good. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, we were just gushing about magazine and, you know, like they're, they're quoting Dostoevsky and other stuff like this. And this is like, it's blue collar, but the darkness at the edge of town is like, it's kind of profound. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's all about people, uh, reaching for something they don't know what it is you know something some kind of yearning you know and whether it's you know like racing or love or i don't know yeah i saw Anybody somebody wanna... write it up as yeah i saw somebody write it up as believing in something better despite a lack of evidence mm -hmm. i think that's a pretty good way to, to describe it it's like okay well you know these songs aren't hopeless in any way shape or form you know it's again that springsteen double bookend you know you start with badlands where it's like, okay, I'm hopeful about this situation and I'm going to do what I need to do. And then, you know, you end with uh, racing streets where it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, things are a little, little bad. And then you come back with promised land. Things are going to be great. I'm going to work through it. And then you end with darkness on the edge of town. So it's not, yeah. it's not that things are hopeless in any way, shape or form. It's that I don't have in front of me evidence that things will be better, but I'm going to look for it. Yeah. The boss is sticking to his four corners model of sequencing, though. 
Yeah. You, you start it. each side with an optimistic banger and you close each side with a with a depressing realization. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it does it does play off that I think he um he really looked at classic films like The Searchers, East of Eden, um, and it is a bit like a B American film or sort of those classical uh, Heartland, like a John Ford film that shows uh, the American dream, but it's a bit tainted in in a way. There's there's either a, a girl that you're you're falling for or you can't make things right in the world. Um, yeah. And actually one of the, uh, one of the songs was based off of a old, uh, Frank Capra film, you know, and most of the Frank Capra films are, are how the, the, uh, kind of capitalism crushes, uh, the working man, the blue collar, uh, man can't find his way in a, in a society like that. Is that factory? Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> so Candy's Room that's my favorite song on the record it's in is our it cans really? right now shut up yeah, yeah. absolutely no, that's not your this favorite. is absolutely my favorite song on the record favorite song no yeah it's cool it gets bombastic it gets, it gets from like minimal to bombastic in under two minutes and yeah. then it's just like it's, pedal to the metal for the rest of the song interesting Clocks in, I think at two minutes and 56 seconds it's a fucking great song Candy Super Room is interesting because he his just like the subject matter of it, uh, uh, of like, you know, being in love with uh, wanting to visit a prostitute, having like, uh, you know, it's almost like a, like gritty, like velvet underground or like first wave of punk l- lyric matter. Like he like he's he's contemporary with with uh, like some of these punkers uh, and he's touching on some of the same emotions and subject matters is them, but the, the treatment is so different, you know? Yeah. He said that he went out and he bought sex pistols clash all the, every punk oh, yeah. record he could get his hands on. Um, while that was happening, you know, that was happening and that did influence songs like this and, uh, raise Kane, um, mm-hmm. and some of the others. So it's not completely lost that he, he, uh, he created those, those songs. I also thought it was so funny because I heard Lost in the Supermarket on Promised Land. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds oh, remi- wow. remarkably like Lost in the Supermarket uh, for the verse. Maybe not the chorus, but it it, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. There was yeah. another uh, big similarity that that I heard and and uh, Springsteen, Springsteen himself is the first to admit it and apparently he's even called it out in live concerts before and played the inspiration riff and then the opening riff to Badlands and tells people like, now that's how you steal a song and get away with it. So uh, the animal song, uh, don't let me be misunderstood. The opening riff to it, you know, like dun, da, da, dun, da, 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 dun, dun, da, da. And then Badlands. Dun, da, da, dun, da, 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 It's, it's just like a, it's like a full, it's like a, it's almost like it harmonizes with don't let me be misunderstood. It's like the whole riff is just like moved up like a third, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a major third. Oh, no, he's talking about Adam raised a cane. Sounds like Danzig. And I never really could get into the chorus of that song 
so, I, I don't know. It just seemed uh, on the nose, but I do like that song. But uh, uh, Kyle, you, you like that song a lot. I, I, I want to hear you talk about what you like about that song. I mean, I like it. I feel like it's uh, it's really raw. Um, I mean, it, this is one thing I liked about this record. It, it's it's really it's really raw and honest. Um, I mean, that's a song where he's like singing from the perspective of a son who feels like the black sheep of the family and a failure to his father. You know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that doesn't hit home. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> Do you think your dad listens to that song and just shakes his head and thinks about you? <laughs> Actually, I reached out. My parents never got into this record. They only got into them. Uh, I texted them this week. I was like, do you guys have any thoughts about this record? And they only got into the boss uh, in the 80s. Oh, wow. Huh. That's yeah. Your parents are fans of the river, right? <sighs> Later, I... Kyle. Later, Kyle. Save it. We, we can get into it when we're when we're talking about the river, <laughs> which I'm right. assuming we will be. Uh, it's got to be in the book. I'm gonna. Double it's got to be right. <laughs> but yeah, Racing Streets, which we're got in our cans right now, is an amazing song as well. Like, I mean, there's so many good songs on here, but uh, I don't know. There's something about Racing Streets. I guess again, it's that like the realistic look at the life of like a supposedly glamorous thing, like being a drag racer, but you know, it's, it's kind of, kind of (laughs) miserable. Yeah. And this, this song has never been included in a fast and the furious, uh, (laughs) and that's insanity. That is crazy. Oh, you know why? You know why that movie needs he, to focus more on the the harder, sadder times of street racing. <laughs> he I is, think so. He is very tight with his um with his songs. Oh. He doesn't he doesn't oh. allow them to be used for almost anything. What if Pitbull covered it? Unless it's a Reagan presidential <laughs> campaign, yeah, and he was not cleared with it. <laughs> I think that's been every Republican uh, campaign since that song came out. They just don't fucking get it. <laughs> maybe, maybe they don't hear words in songs or something. It's not like he's they, trying to pull the wool over your eyes about what the song's about. He says right in they, every verse. It's a great hook. And he does say born in the USA, and that's all they give a fuck about. I know you said that this record didn't really fit in with everything, but um, yeah. Uh, Sp- Springsteen wrote like in his uh, his memoir that he was really into the Buzzcocks, the Clash, Suicide, Ramones during this mm-hmm. record. And I, I wrote down a quote. He said, "In '78, I felt a distant kinship to these groups, to the class consciousness, the anger, their energy and influence can be found buried in the subtext of darkness on the edge of town." Hell yeah, man! Mm-hmm. No, um, I hear that. I won't. Uh, it was it was just it was a strange uh 
grouping. Um, oh, because, I agree. 100%. Uh, it's but, a chunky no, soup. They, yeah, it's a it's a very <laughs> chunky soup. But this, this fucking album's great. I think it's better than Born to Run, personally. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I. Oh, Birch is giving me a finger up. Uh, we will not get the river. What? So we will get. <laughs> what? Are we getting born in the USA, or are we just cutting off Bruce so we can fit in more pill albums? No, we will. We get Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town, Nebraska, The Rising, and Born in the USA. So I mean, we that's should a get lot. The river. We we can cut one of those for the river, in my opinion. Yeah. Would you like to? Kyle, tell us t- the tale. Tell us yeah. about the river, Kyle. <laughs> so, um. Like I like I mentioned, my parents are really into the boss in the eighties. Um, in the nineties, my parents were worried that I was going to get my um, high school girlfriend pregnant, so they uh, came into my room with a boombox uh, and a CD <laughs> copy of The River, and they queued it up to The River, and uh, they just played it and looked me dead in the eyes. Well. Bruce Springsteen told this harrowing tale about knocking up his girlfriend. <laughs> and I'll never forget. Well, I got Mary pregnant. That was all she wrote. <laughs> yes, you can't it, it's that a, on my 18th birthday, I got a union card and a yeah. wedding coat. Yeah, they just kind of looked at me and kind of like nodded. <laughs> was that the talk? That was the talk I got. <laughs> Worked like a charm, though, right? That's don't have any kids. <laughs> and I go. still ain't got no kids. <laughs> Holy shit. No. Every every male went through. <laughs> you guys pick up that uh Martha Reeves and the Vandellas reference in uh Racing in the Streets. He says summer's here and the time is right for racing in the street. And so <laughs> summer's here and the time is right for dancing in the streets. <laughs> I appreciate that about him. Yeah. He's a literal man. Uh, this this did reach number five, Billboard 200, selling more than three million copies. Stayed on the charts for 97 weeks. It, it went triple platinum, sold three million wow. copies. Uh, it's so, Obviously, the album sold really well. Uh, the two singles, uh, Promised Land and Badlands, I believe, uh, performed modestly. They both were in like the m- mid-low 40s of the Billboard charts. So I thought it was uh, Prove, Prove It All Night was actually the first single, which okay, I thought okay. was really weird. Well, Prove It All Night's kind of got that like yeah. Paradise by the Dashboard Lights vibe. Yeah. Like it's probably the like the easiest and most fun song on the album if there were to be a fun song. I guess. Yeah, I think I think you're right. They performed fine, but not triple platinum album fine so i thought i thought that was interesting that obviously bruce springsteen is striking a chord as an album artist and not necessarily relying on radio hits to sell to sell units at this point of his career which it's not his second album but it's probably just the second album that most people heard you know 
I guess three years between Born to Run and this also gives everyone a chance to be anticipating the the, the new Springsteen album. Absolutely. And yeah. wasn't that a contractual dispute that made him wait mm. the three years before doing it? Uh, yes. what, what was that about? Like, what, what was the issue? He wanted out of his contract. Basically, he signed a bad contract. Initially, Born to Run was a, a runaway success. And uh, he wasn't he wasn't. He wasn't seeing the money from it like oh, he, he should have been. So he I think he tried to renegotiate it first and then he just wanted to drop his his agent um, and get a new. It was initially set to be released in 1978 under the title or sorry, 1977 under the title Badlands and already had album art and everything. But uh, the boss uh, scrapped it. He rejected it. Uh, he didn't think it was a statement that he wanted to make at the time. And he went back into the the recording studio and recorded at like, according to other people, including Jimmy Iovine, Iovine, uh, at least 70 songs during these sessions uh, of which he pared it down to what? 10 for this album of the 70 songs, 52 of them were complete and eight of them were partial songs of the 60 songs he didn't use on the album. Uh, some of the songs include uh, like Because of the Night, which was a big hit for Patti Smith. Oh, and yeah. later on, it was uh, 10,000 Maniacs. 10,000 Maniacs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he uh, did uh, Fire, which was uh, recorded by the Pointer Sisters. And they had a big hit out of that. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, the song Rendezvous. He recorded a few songs that appeared on albums for uh, for the band Southside Johnny and the Ashbury Jukes, who are huge in like in the in the like the the this scene that known nationally uh and then four of the songs from these sessions ended up on the river so homeboy mm-hmm. was prolific yeah mm-hmm. i think it probably helped him to to not be there were so many good albums in 1977 i think it probably helped to have <laughs> an album released the next year when people hadn't just heard this you know heard punk rock uh and rumors and all these other amazing albums that we got in 1977 probably distilled it a little bit you know how when there's you know 10 good movies that come out in the same month you're like well i gotta pick and choose i can't see i can't do do everything so i i feel like that probably helped him a little bit and yeah having the anticipation for uh the follow-up to to a smash like a, a born to run Unlike on Born to Run, uh, which was uh, more of like a wall of sound recording uh, technique, uh, on this one, uh, the, the the band recorded live. Uh, they're all playing at the same time on this album. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I had read, too, he, uh, I have a quote from him saying, recorded sound is relative. When the drums are forceful but moderate, they leave room for big guitar sound. When the guitars are powerful but lean, you can have drums the size of a house but you can't feature everything for in effect. You're featuring nothing. Sorry for in effect. You're featuring nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Garth, that was a haiku. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, uh, John Landu or is it Landau? Landau. Landau. John Landau. Yeah. I keep thinking the director, John Landau, Uh, the co-producer, John Landau and engineer, uh, Jimmy Leuven spent a ton of time capturing the perfect drum sound from Max Weinberg. 
they would just sit there and just make him, you know, pop that snare until they got the perfect uh, drum sound. Sounds great. Uh, if you're going to be capturing, if you're going to be spending time closely monitoring and capturing a drum sound, uh, might as well be Max Weinberg making those sounds. He makes good sounds is what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, the E Street band across the board, fucking killer. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. Great There's no, they're no slouches themselves. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was a bit surprised when I thought about it later, um, that there's not a lot of horn. Clarence Clemens sax is not featured all over this album. When I think That's of true. Bruce Springsteen, he gets a few ripping solos, but other than that, yeah, he's taking a back seat. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of those solos in, I believe it was Badlands, it came on a whim. It wasn't, there wasn't scheduled to be a solo there and, and they just cut it and, and print it. Great solos though. Got to toss it to the big man, man. Absolutely. Street band. <laughs> uh, Kreisgau was, was less than impressed with this one. He was a fan. Uh, he, uh, he's a fan of Springsteen. Uh, but uh, the quote that, uh, that he had, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he said, uh, Bruce Springsteen is either a very important minor artist or a very flawed and inconsistent major one. And I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah. Have it, having, yeah. you know, just a few albums to look at for perspective. I could see that take. Uh, that being said, you know, with the perspective of an extra, what, 35 years, uh, more than that, 42, oh, 40 years, 42 years. Yeah. 42 years. Uh, it's given a bit of extra perspective on darkness at the edge of town. And I have a feeling that Christ God would probably look back on it a little bit more favorably. Has anyone checked out his Broadway show? Robert Christgau? No. <laughs> Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Are you telling me he put his money where his mouth is and started making music? I that would absolutely buy tickets to go see Robert Christgau's <laughs> Broadway debut. Oh, can we We can just all pile in a van with our masks on and road trip down. <laughs> no, Kyle, I haven't seen Bruce Springsteen's uh, live show. And on uh, It's on Broadway? It's not off Broadway? Yeah, it's Broadway. It's supposed to be really good. It's like a he does like a storyteller thing. So it's, it's him. It's, like, it's not like the music of the boss. It's like it's like him. It's like person. the boss, and he tells a story. It's like storytellers, but uh, I like storytellers. on Broadway. It's supposed to be quite good. I haven't seen it. I have a feeling that that Bruce Springsteen himself is one of those individuals that can, by his lonesome, captivate an audience for hours on end. He just like, he he just oozes charisma and and creativity and he's got without without being uh without like coming across as pompous because he's got that whole working class angle that he's doing i i think that if anyone can do a one-man show on broadway it'd be bruce i don't i don't think he's ever played a show less than like three hours he's kind of mm-hmm. known for long ass shows well when you when you got that many hits man yeah you got to give the people what they came for and that's Every song you've written in the last 40 years. <laughs> yeah, during the 70s and 80s, they actually played for longer than they do uh, nowadays. Uh, they said they were re- religious displays of energy, charisma, and stamina, uh, and they often carried on for over four hours straight. Oh my God. You never hear stories about uh, drug use in the E Street Band, but it seems for four-hour shows being the standard, 
like are, are those guys on some kind of amphetamine or or are or all all ten of them just that just, energetic? Before the show, they just have a big bowl of pasta so they don't lose energy. They, yeah. they just have a big <laughs> turkey dinner with Van Morrison. You got a carb load. <laughs> Anybody else? Uh, I learned this while doing research this week, and it kind of blew my mind. Uh, it said Springsteen never had a job besides playing music. Is that true? Man, that's so awesome. I believe it. I believe Probably. it. He started he young. And he's such a workhorse. You know, I, family, I bet he was yeah. grinding it out, and anyone that would let him have access to a microphone every night in his in his young days. You know. Yeah, I just I found Dude's that a worker captivating that he didn't have uh, you know i mean it, it just seems like from his from the lyrics from the whole thing i'm not saying i'm not uh, dissing him in any way i think it's amazing it's just he has captivating songs that show that sort of blue collar worker mentality that i i have i found that fascinating Next, you're going to tell me that John Cougar Mellencamp never sucked off a chili dog outside of a tasty freeze birch. <laughs> I know that one's true. It was the chocolate mousse, and we all know that. Yeah. He was sucking on it. He wasn't sucking it off. <laughs> I don't know what lyrics you're listening to. <laughs> I don't know. How was sucking on a chili dog better, bud? <laughs> Behind the tasty freeze? <laughs> Outside the tasty freeze. Behind Below the chocolate the mousse. <laughs> hey Kyle, do you do you remember that time we were both really broke and hungry and we just walked down to the chocolate mousse and just got what they call a Frenchie? Which that is was just a, just smeared a ham- sauce hamburger bun with chili sauce and mustard on it. And we just oh, sat- I was there. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was you and I. We didn't it, they were like they were selling them for 50 cents each. We each got a couple Frenchies. We sat and <laughs> Dangled our feet in the Jordan River <laughs> and just <laughs> just ate some ate some Frenchies. <laughs> and then we looked behind a bush and there was John Cougar Mellencamp sucking there up. There he was. He was just blowing that chili dog. <laughs> uh, the essence of Hartland Rock right there. <laughs> that was a bad land. <laughs> that was the bad land. <laughs> It was the uh, darkness behind the the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Birch, to to go back to to what you were saying about him only having the one job and that job as a musician, I've I've never read a Bruce Springsteen biography or autobiography, so I don't know what the real story is. I got the vibe from him. I got the vibe that he paid his dues – at his blue collar dues as a working musician trying to get a break and kind of, and, and like played all those dingy clubs with the clientele that he was writing songs about. And I think that he was just always able to channel that 
uh, like throughout his career after he found fame. And I could be 100% wrong. You know, maybe his dad was the, the mayor of, was of Asbury park, but, uh, but I would just imagine, you know, maybe he didn't work at a car wash, you know, maybe he wasn't, uh, like a, a, a dock worker or a logger, but I had a feeling that he did have his hard times and his dues paying just being a working musician trying to make it big, you know? Oh, don't get In me New wrong. Jersey. Strictly being alive is a miserable experience. <laughs> 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 so I don't, I don't fault anybody for singing the blues. Maybe that's why I don't have a hard time with someone like Eric Clapton singing the blues because it's, yeah, everything's kind of terrible. Um, <laughs> maybe that's my outlook. But yeah, I just, I thought it was um, someone like Tom Waits who had had a few different jobs. Uh, I, I just thought from his, his characters that he paints are pretty vivid. And so to, to imagine that is, is exceptional to me. Yeah. So I, I don't fault him at all. I just think that it's a, it's an interesting aspect that I wouldn't have guessed. Well, if you look at the technical specifics of the vehicle that he makes in racing streets, it's not possible. So that's why you can tell he's never actually <laughs> raced any cars. You can't put a three ninety six with uh fuely heads. It's just not, it's not doable. So yeah. there's no there such thing it. as changing the blinker fluid. He <laughs> exactly. obviously yeah. has never worked on a car. <laughs> I believe after Born to Run, though, he did buy a, a very fancy car in a Steinway baby grand because uh, it was, you know, he was like, I made hey, treat it. Yourself. I'd treat yeah. myself. I'd treat myself. He writes his songs on a piano. Yeah. So, yeah, have a nice one. You're Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> hey, Birch, what do you think about this record? Uh, I think this is a wonderful record. It might even yes. be better conceptually than Born to Run, although it's hard to. Yeah, it's a it's a tighter album than Born to Run. Born to Run comes out of the gates and it blows you away with the singles. I feel like this one uh, is more consistent through its songwriting. It's a, it's a great album, though. I mean, this is he. There's something about Bruce Springsteen being the blue collar. Uh, heartland rocker that I think everybody, especially in America, identifies with. It has a certain sentiment that that we hearken back to. It's looking forward, but also looking to the past. It's it's great. Bruce Springsteen, wonderful. Birch, are you very familiar with uh, his album after this, The River? Yeah, The River. Do you? I, I own both of them. I like both of them. <clears throat> I, I also have Born to Run. As a departure point from Born to Run, this is just my personal opinion. I really like Darkness on the Edge of Town, and it did come first. But in my opinion, it just feels like he really found the voice that he was doing on Darkness on the Edge of Town on the river. I Actually, I, I find myself listening to the river more often than Darkness. Uh, do you have any, any opinions on that? Yeah, I, I think I listen to Darkness a bit more than The River. So I think I, I in yeah, it's just a different outlook than I have or than than you. Sure. So yeah. I, I think I just find the songs. I, I find the sequencing really good on uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town for some reason. It just every 
every time I listen to it, it's it's like a complete. Not that the river has is that much different, um, but I don't know. There's just something about this album that strikes me. The sequencing gets yeah. quoted quite a bit on this uh, on this record as is, is, is being why it's like consider like some do consider this to be Springsteen's like high point. Um, and they hmm. they attribute a lot to that to the uh, to the sequencing. So but no, Ben, it, you're, you're exactly right. Fucking like positivity. And by the end of like the side, it's just fucking like bleak. <laughs> I, and it's his formula. That's what he does. Such a good formula. <laughs> yeah, so good. Uh, let's talk about the uh, album art for a minute. And the fact that Bruce Springsteen is doing his best young Adam Turla. i forgot about that it's just a photo inside a suburban jersey home Mm -hmm. no frills while wearing his uh suburban jersey you know at this point in the afterglow of born to run you know old brucey is not necessarily struggling like the blue collar uh uh characters that he writes about and I, I think the album art and the photography did a really good job of just kind of like painting a portrait of Bruce Springsteen as the character on the album, even if he's not necessarily still that character in his personal life. It just, uh, yeah, like, like John was saying, it's just a, he, he's in like a V-neck t-shirt with like a jacket. His hair's kind of messed up. He's looking really stoic, leaning against some Venetian blinds and some old wallpaper and like, just like a, like a New Jersey home. It's a, it's a really cool photograph. And it was one of the first things that drew me to this album initially, actually. What, what, what drew you to born in the USA? Those the buns. The, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Them <laughs> buns, them buns. And, and we'll get to that. So we don't need to talk about the, 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 the controversy behind that album art on, on this episode. Total positive for me, guys. Positive. I like Damn, positive. Yeah, yeah positive big, here. Big fan. Be- best, be- better than Born to Run, in my opinion. And uh, that dims his high marks. Cool. Uh, yeah, great album. Next time, we'll be talking about Funkadelic One Nation Under a Groove. All right, thanks, y'all. My heart was just in my heaven. And the blood was just in my heaven.